Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Thursday, January 4th. Happy Dimple Chad Day, which as a Floridian, I'm not too thrilled about because it celebrates a giant black mark on the history of Floridia. See, a chad is a bitty little fragment that's left over when you punch a hole in paper or cardboard or some such. A dimpled chad is still attached, but it has an indentation, as if someone started to punch it but changed their mind. And in the year 2000, four counties in South Florida used ballots just like this in the Bush v. Gore presidential election. And wouldn't you know it, it was close. So we held a recount. And Bush won. Twice. So Al Gore and every lawyer he could scrape up descended upon my fair state and sued for recount after recount. Cause he wanted to protect the will of the people, you know. Bless his little pee-picking heart. So we recounted. Like six times. And no matter how many ballots they found in closets and car trunks, or how many dimpled chads they counted as actual votes, Bush kept on winning. Al Gore finally said, how about we count them one last time, but just in them four counties that use chads? Cause they're easy to punch out after the fact, and it was close for me there. But the Supreme Court said, no Al, that's too much even for us. If you're gonna recount them, you gotta recount everybody. And Al's like, well, can't win that way, and went home. Now, up here in Northwest Floridia, we don't use them janky ballots. We use markers, so there's no confusion. So why don't all counties use markers? Cause the confusion is the goal. The beast system's been rigging elections ever since there's been elections. And stuff like chads and mail-in ballots and electronic voting is all part of that. But that's how the world system is. All dishonest and scheming and trying to be its own God. That's why Jesus told us we might gotta be in the world, but don't be of it. Our reading for today is Genesis 8, 1 through 10, 32, Matthew 4, 12 through 25, Psalm 4, 1 through 8, and Proverbs 1, 20 through 23. So if y'all are ready, of course nowadays, what with the BLMs and the Antifas and everything, punching out a chad means something way different. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on January 3rd in the Old Testament, we read Genesis 5.1 through 7.24. And chapter 5 is a genealogy. And a lot of folks like to skip the genealogies, but don't, because there's nothing in the Bible by accident. There's no filler. There is, however, a ton of stuff concealed that you have to suss out. Like Proverbs 25.2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So sometimes you got to work at it. So verse 1 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. And we can argue about what likeness means later. Check this part out. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So he called their name Adam? The one single dude made on day six was really a they in the day he was created? And both male and female he created them? This one dude, really? Does that mean Adam was two people? Or he was a billion people? Or was he some kind of multidimensional being with the potential of the whole human race contained within him or radiating from him? I mean, how far down this oddball road do y'all want to go with me? Because it's all speculation. It ain't like we're ever going to figure it out. But when I get to heaven, I'm going straight to Blockbuster and checking out the video of the pre-fall world. <laughs> anyway, chapter 5 gives the genealogy from Adam to Noah along with all their ages. And if you add it up, you can figure out how much time passes. 
and plenty have, and you can look that up later. And the first thing you'll notice is these early people are living about 10 times as long as we do today. And this is one of those things that embarrasses Christians, but there's no reason for that. Just because this is incompatible with our modern beast system religions doesn't make it untrue. If somebody wants to demonstrate to me that it is untrue, I'll listen. But you got to do better than because I said so. I've just experienced God too much to take anybody else seriously. And some people will try to say that years really means months in Genesis. But that doesn't work unless Enos had Canaan when he was seven. (laughs) But there's got to be a reason for this though, right? I think it has something to do with the speed of light slowing down that we were talking about the other day. Because if it's slowing down, stay with me here. That means it used to be faster. I know, right? And right after the fall, it was as fast as it was ever going to get, which maybe has something to do with how they experienced time back then. Also, those first few generations had to be pretty genetically pure and super duper healthy, which might account for some of the longevity. You and me, our genetic codes have been copied a billion times and they're full of errors now. Try copying your favorite fog hat cassette out a billion times and see if that's worth listening to. And then in verse 23, it says, And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So what's that mean? Did Enoch die? If he did, why does it say it like that then? It's because he did not die. He was translated and taken up to heaven before the flood, which is why some people say he's a type of the church, and this is symbolic of a pre-trib rapture. And maybe. And Elijah didn't die either. He was translated out. So some people say that the two witnesses in Revelation are Enoch and Elijah because they never died. But the two witnesses will be killed. And since you're not allowed to die more than once, that's probably who they are. And there is a book of Enoch, which the Jews apparently venerated, but it didn't make it into the King James for a lot of reasons. One of which is it's sketchy whether or not he actually wrote it. But read it if you want to. It's interesting and talks a lot about the next couple chapters. So anyway, the genealogy ends with Noah and his three sons. And the thing to remember about these biblical names is most of them are actually words for something else. And they're not translated. They're what they call transliterated. For example, Adam in the original was Adama, for all you Battlestar Galactica fans out there. And that means man. Literally, it means man from the red earth. Or it can be a verb meaning to be red. Hebrew is hard. But some say Adam was red in color. Like me, being half a Choctaw Indian and all. I'm also half Spanish and half Brit, and I think I'm half Dutch or something like that, but I'm not sure. And remember in 425 when Eve named her kid Seth because she said, God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel? Well, Seth means appointed. So we got Adam and Seth. And Seth has Enosh, which means mortal, frail, or miserable. And it's from the root Enosh, to be incurable. And it's usually used of like a wound or grief or illness or even wickedness. And it was in the days of Enosh that men began to defile the name of the living God, like we talked about the other day. And Enosh's son was named Kenan, which can mean sorrow, dirge, or elegy. And my understanding is Hebrew is not like English where words are specific. Hebrew is really a language based on conveying images. And Chinese is like that. Easterners and Westerners think differently. So whereas in English, sorrow, dirge, and elegy are all different things, in Hebrew they can all be the same, or different, or both. (laughs) Now, this is the example I was given many years ago in explaining Hebrew. Anger is flared nostrils in Hebrew. And we have God in the beginning simply saying, light be. And the light knew what to do. Everything God says is truth. 
and he can say the same thing to two people and each hear or see something different with regard to application in their life. The truth is unchanged, and Hebrew is like that to me. No nonsense, to the point, and yet customized. Anyway, Kenan's son was Mahalalel, from Mahalal, which means blessed or praise, and El, the name for God. Thus, Mahalalel means the blessed God. Hebrew does that a lot, like Daniel, Daniel, means God is my judge. And Mahalalel's son was named Jared, from the verb Yarod, meaning shall come down. Jared's son was Enoch, which means teaching or commencement, and he was the first of four generations of preachers. In fact, the earliest recorded prophecy was by Enoch, and it was of the second coming of Christ. Enoch was the father of Methuselah, from Muth, which means death, and from Shalak, which means to bring or to send forth. The name Methuselah means his death shall bring. Methuselah's father Enoch was given a prophecy of the flood and was apparently told that as long as his son was alive, the flood would be withheld. And that's what happened. The year Methuselah died was the year the flood came. Methuselah's son was named Lamech. And that's a root we still have in English today for lament or lamentation. And Lamech suggests despairing. Lamech, of course, is the father of Noah, which is derived from Nacham to bring relief or comfort. Okay, Bible y'all, Paul, so what? Why'd you put us through all that? Well, string all these names together, and what you get is, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest, which is the whole gospel message in one sentence, hidden in the names of these guys. So you're telling me for hundreds of years, all these parents got together and did this on purpose over 10 generations. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess that's more believable than a group of Jewish rabbis conspired to hide the Christian gospel in a genealogy in their venerated Torah. (laughs) Or maybe God just did it. Anyway, verse 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the word translated sons of God is benai ha-elohim, And it always means angels every time it's used of one kind or another. So this verse says angels, probably the ones that fell with Satan, took human women and somehow interbred with them. Maybe directly, maybe in labs, who knows. But verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And the word translated giants is Nephilim, and it means giants. And I've read that it can also mean earthborn. Basically, the angels created some kind of freaky hybrid race of people that were big and scary. And what's happening is, remember when God told Satan that it would be the seed of the woman that would eventually cave his head in? Well, he figured if he can corrupt the whole race so that humans ain't even human anymore, he can head that off. And my understanding is, they find the fossilized remains of these jokers all over the world, and some have six-fingered hands. And the Smithsonian apparently has a bunch of them locked up in the basement, but they won't show them to anybody because it conflicts with their religion. But God is not a fan of this. And verse 5 says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So apparently, even if you aren't a Nephilim, you're still evil. And that's probably why he raptured Enoch out not too long ago, because he was the last decent guy left except for Noah. No, I had a job to do. Yeah. And verse 3 says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. 
And this doesn't have anything to do with age. He's saying this dumpster fire of a world has 120 years left before he sends judgment. And he's going to destroy all the animals too, which makes me think it wasn't just humans the Benai Elohim were experimenting with. But wait a minute, Bible y'all, Paul. The Bible says angels can't have sex. And what this really means is the sons of Seth were the good godly people and the sons of Cain were the evil people. And they weren't supposed to intermarry, but they did and they raised kids that were little monsters. There's nothing to see here. No, the Bible does not say that. It says they don't get married. That's not the same thing. It doesn't say they can't have sex. And if the descendants of Seth were regular humans, why call them angels? Why bother to differentiate them at all? And how do normal humans spawn a race of giants? I mean, if there's nothing weird going on, why are we even having this conversation? But my biggest problem with the lines of Seth argument is it didn't exist until about two or three hundred years after Jesus. Moses didn't know about it when he wrote this. And Jesus never heard of it either. When Jesus was a rabbi, he preached Nephilim. So forgive me if I'm reluctant to take somebody's word for it. Anyway, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, which is good news. He says Noah was a just man. He was a decent guy and perfect in his generations. In other words, his genetics had not yet been corrupted by the Benai Elohim. And Noah walked with God. He worshiped the one true God. And there's another trinity for you if you're tracking that sort of thing. It's kind of an important trinity. Anyway, so God calls up Noah and tells him about his plans. Says, I want you to build this ginormous box and coat it on the outside and the inside with pitch so it won't leak and it'll be preserved forever. Make it 450 feet long by 75 feet wide by 45 feet tall. Make three levels inside it and a bunch of rooms all through it with a door in the side and a window around the top because I'm sending a flood. And in chapter 7, he tells him, and what we're going to do is you and your family, along with two of every different kind of unclean animal and seven of every kind of clean animal, are going to get in this box and ride out the storm. But Noah's like, well, we can't put two of every species of animal in a box that size. The bugs alone will fill it up. And how am I supposed to store the fish? So God's like, well, you're making a lot of assumptions there, ain't you, Noah? I never said bring fish. Fish can swim. It'll be bad for them too, but enough will survive. And I never said to bring bugs. If you'll check verse 22 again, I said, it's all in whose nostrils is the breath of life. And that's in the dry land. Bugs don't have nostrils, so leave them out. I figure they can survive on floating mats of logs and debris and stuff. So just dry land animals that breathe through a face. That's all you got to worry about. And I never said to bring every species. That word don't even exist yet. I said kinds. You just find one big kind of dog, and I'll take care of breeding them back out into wolves and pit bulls and chihuahuas. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Matter of fact, you just build the thing, and I'll bring the critters to you. So he does, and it sits in his driveway until Methuselah dies, and probably till seven days after Emoch gets raptured, some say. And then, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And fountains of the great deep. Scoffers say it couldn't rain enough to flood the earth because all the latent heat that would be released would cook the atmosphere. And they're right, it would. But most of the water for the flood came from underground. But Bible y'all, Paul, how could there be that much water underground? Well, where do you think water comes from now? You drill a hole anywhere on the earth and hit water. The thing about the rain was is that it had never rained before. So anyway, verse 20 says, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, which either means the water was 15 cubits over the highest mountain, or it was 15 cubits deep, 
and what they called mountains back then were only short little hills. Or both could be true, because some say that when the water came up out of the ground, later on it all caved back in to make the oceans, which is where all the water went to when it ran off. And all that geologic upheaval is what created the mountain ranges also, which is why you find fossilized clams upon Mount Everest. But the waters prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. And that's as far as we read. And I just have a couple highlights and observations of my own. Uh, Seth, we see, is in Adam's likeness, not God. So there's already a corruption and a degeneration taking place in mankind. That wasn't said regarding the first two boys. And then Enoch got a revelation from God at age 65 when his son was born. And in naming the boy, it sounds like Enoch had been asking some questions about the state of things. He may have called on God before, but now Enoch is walking with God. In all that darkness, Enoch found out that he pleased God and got translated after walking 300 years with God. And Hebrews 11.5 in the New American Standard tells us that by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, or he obtained the witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. What a witness. He witnessed and testified that God was pleased with him. Now that's a powerful testimony. This is before the cross. And in the New Testament, we read Matthew 3, 7 through 4, 11. And when we left off, John the Baptist was making a name for himself. And verse 7 says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, those were the really religious people of the time, he starts dog cussing them. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Y'all better repent, and don't think being sons of Abraham is going to do anything for you. God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He says, if y'all are like trees, then the guy with the axe just showed up. Every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I baptize you with water unto repentance. But the guy with the axe that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's going to sift you like chaff from the wheat. So just really took it to him. Mm. And long about that time, Jesus shows up to be baptized by John. And John don't want to do it because Jesus outranks him. But Jesus is like, well, who you reckon we're going to get that outranks me to do it? <laughs> Good question. So John just goes on and does it. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened up unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. It wasn't a dove. It was like a dove. I like that old hymn, but it's a little inaccurate. And lo, they also heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in chapter 4, says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Why? Don't know. Probably just so the rest of us would see him endure temptation without sinning, like pretty much everything he did was for our benefit. So after he fasted 40 days and was weakened, the devil shows up and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread, because he was hungry. He hadn't eaten 40 days. And Jesus responded by quoting scripture. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the devil's like, Oh, it's like that, huh? Well, how about this? And then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and says, If you're the son of God, jump off. For it is also written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. 
See, I can quote scripture just as good as you. And Jesus is like, well, nice try, but it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Basically saying, I'm the Lord thy God, Satan. That's me, Jesus. I'm the Lord. So Satan's like, fine, look. And the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Probably past, present, and future, I think. And he says, all these world empires belong to me. See that one right there? I call that one the USA. It's pretty sweet. And I'll give them every one to you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. About now, Jesus has had enough and runs him off. He says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So he's responding with the word of God again. And that pretty much did it. Satan left. And that's always been the best way to chase him off. And that's where we stopped reading. So we're shown how to deal with temptation, with Jesus leading the way, and it boils down to three areas, and they begin and end with, It is written. And we need to know what God says to win. Scripture was in Jesus's heart. So when approached with the lust of the flesh, now he had been fasting for 40 days. Hunger has returned. It is time for him to eat. He's weak in the flesh, but not in the spirit. He said, it's written, life comes from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the lust of the eyes come into play a little bit here with the devil playing around with the word. You got to see something. You're looking for something. And, And Jesus points out to him, it is written, don't dare God. And then the pride of life, get out of here because it's written to worship and serve only God. Not a big back and forth, just the word of God puts them down. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life we are warned about. That's all the devil has to bait us with. Our appetite, our imagination, and our pride. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 3, 1 through 8. And that's a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And Absalom was David's third son, and his sister was Tamar, who his half-brother Amnon did really wrong. And Absalom hated David for how he handled it. But we'll get to that. David's on the run from him and very sad. But he still has faith that God will make good on all his promises. And he calls out to God in that faith. He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Because salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. And Selah is common in the Psalms, and nobody knows what it really means. They know it's some kind of musical command, and it probably means extended guitar solo. That's what I think. I think it means pause and think of that, what was just spoken. The New American Standard Bible titles this psalm as a morning prayer of trust in God. Like Bible y'all, Paul said, is when David fled from his son Absalom. So David is on the run again, and he prays. O Lord, my adversaries have increased, and many say you won't deliver me this time. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the one that lifts my head up. He cried. God answered the night before, so he slept. The Lord sustained him, and now David isn't afraid and boldly asks God to save him. Most of the Psalms, and pretty much all of David's Psalms, are really great patterns on how to pray. Yeah. But in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 1, 10 through 19. And that starts out, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. He's saying, don't run with a bad crowd. And Amen. He, and he describes what he means by that and says again, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. And he says, look, if you spread out your net right in front of the birds, you think you're going to catch any? Well, these jokers you're running with are doing just that. 
Everything they do is vain and useless and will come to naught. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Yeah, good advice. Be prepared to say no when folks try to lure you into sin against God. Bad company corrupts good morals. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 4th is Genesis 8:1 through 10:32. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her, and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came in to him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet another seven days, and sent forth the dove which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth out of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing, as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Chapter 9 and God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth, upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply. 
bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah, and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. Chapter 10 Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras, and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and Togarma, and the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their generations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Phut, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Raama, and Sabteca. And the sons of Raama, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, Even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Calneh, in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kela, and Reason, between Nineveh and Kela. The same is a great city. And Mizraim begat Ludim, and Anamim, and Lahabim, and Naphtuhim, and Pathrusim, and Casluhim, out of whom came Philistim, and Kaphtorim, and Canaan begat Sidon his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvidite, and the Zemorite, and the Hamathite, and afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, 
unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma and Zeboim, even unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder, even to him were children born. The children of Shem, Elam and Asher, and Arphaxad, and Lud and Aram, and the children of Aram, Uz and Hul, and Gether, and Mash. And Arphaxad begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. And Joktan begat Almadad, and Sheleph, and Hazarmaveth, and Jera, and Hadaram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Obal, and Abimael, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling was from Mesha, as thou goest unto Sephar, a mount of the east. These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Our reading in the New Testament for January 4th is Matthew 4, 12-25. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zabulon, and Nephtalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon, and the land of Nephtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach, and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets, and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Our reading in Psalms for January 4th is Psalm 4, 1-8. To the chief musician on Naganoth, a psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me, and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity, and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe, and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed, and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will shew us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And our reading in Proverbs for January 4th is Proverbs 1, 
20-23 Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And that's got it for the fourth. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on Philippians 3:13 and 14, which says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on keeping your eyes on the prize because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, though we may be carrying regret or shame or trauma, we don't want to look back but forward to what lies ahead. For we know we are called to press on toward the prize of Christ Jesus. That means we redeem the time and take advantage of every day you give us. For there is work to be done for your kingdom, Father, and if anything that remains attached to your new creatures interferes with that, we pray that all such chaff be cut off and burned away. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yallin' I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody who's listening and let this podcast be helpful to them in some way. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, CastBox, and Facebook. And if you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need for you to do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. If you got any prayer requests of your own, email them to me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better for anybody, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. So Satan's like, it says Stan again. I know. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I remember seeing it before. I, I didn't I didn't notice it. <laughs> I thought we're calling him Stan now. We're, I don't want to call him Stan. <laughs>